Hello everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of the Curious K Podcast. Um, it's a beautiful day and as you know, my name is Kola Paul and I'm your host. And this awesome episode features Michael Oscar, co-founder at Africa Communicate. Uh, so if you don't know, Africa Communicate is a platform for African digital creatives celebrating their works and connecting them to opportunities for learning, collaboration, and funding. And Oscar Michael is a visionary entrepreneur with interest in art, technology, education, and human capacity development. He's an alumnus of Mest Africa, where he learned software entrepreneurship, and is an IGDA Foundation Next Gen Leader alumnus for the 2021 virtual exchange program. Oscar, welcome to Curiosity Podcast. It's an honor to have you here. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. So how are you? How are you doing today? I'm fine. I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine too. I think it's it's cool. Uh, I mean, the weather is... is... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Oscar, so let's let's get into it. So can you tell us a brief about like growing up and like your education background? Let's just get to it. Okay. Um, yeah, that's something. That's quite a story, actually. Um, so basically, I, I studied um, computer science and um, I have always been fascinated with computers. I think for when I was about 15, I got my first laptop and that was way back. Uh, <laughs> how do I explain it? So this is the real old school notebooks. They were called notebooks, the first set of laptops, not the big bulky one, very small. And it had, um, to show you how old it was, it had what we call the Microsoft comic chat. I don't, I don't know who still remembers that. <laughs> so Microsoft used to have this comic chat um, platform where you can actually chat with people using comic characters. Um, I got that laptop. I was really fascinated about what I could do. And so and I moved on to our institution. I, I learned computer science and I've always been a fan of movie. I've always been a fan of um, animation, of games. So coming out to do my internship, I got introduced to the games industry, basically. <laughs> um, I, I worked. So I, I got to an organization. I found an organization in Lagos back then um, where they actually taught people how to build games. And I was really wowed. I got into the organization learned how to build games using Construct then. That was way back in the early 2010. And I moved on from there to become a games facilitator. From learning how to build games to teaching people how to build games, it was an amazing experience. I taught kids, I taught teens and youths how to use the platform. And then that's also how my experience with community building started. We started organizing activities like jams, Back then, the global game job was quite new to everyone, not like now, not many more people are doing it. So we used to organize global game jam Lagos, where people come down to the office to build games over 48, 72 hours. Yeah, I believe 48 wow. hours. 
yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's how it all started for me. That's how I got to the industry. So back at Center for Tech, I learned animation, I learned games, I learned embedded systems. Um, I learned um, XR as well, creating VR apps. So it was really a complete learning on the job experience for me where I also built my skills. Um, because funny enough, I, I didn't go to uh, university, if one might put it that way. <laughs> so I actually went to a polytechnic and everything I've gained so far has been, how do I put it? It's, it's been my mainly my personal effort, my personal development. And so that was where I really got to start coding. That's where I really got to see the fun side of tech as opposed to the theoretical aspect of computer science. And it was amazing. Uh, fast forward later, I moved to um, Accra um, because I got into Mest Africa to learn software entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask about that, like the Mest story. Like, then how did you get to Mest? How was that like? <laughs> it, it's a very interesting one um, because... Fun fact, I think I'm one of the few polytechnic graduates that got into MEST. Um, if, you, if you know MEST Africa, you know the MEST recruitment process. It's, it's one of the most difficult things <laughs> you can ever do in life. I, I, I must put it that way. There are lots of forms you have to fill. People who have gone through that process will, will understand clearly. You have exam to write. You have a lot of forms to fill. And then you have the physical recruitment process where if you pass through those stages, you actually go and get interviewed. In a day, I think we did like three interviews. We had like three interview sessions in one day. And <laughs> I All felt... In Ghana. So, so you had to travel to Ghana for the interview sessions? Or was no, it no, no, no. Mest um, travels across to various countries to hold their interview sessions. Okay. Um, so mine happened in Lagos. And there are like 40 people or 30, about 40 people on the day of my interview. And the interview held for two days. So they're like, I think 30 per day. So you can imagine how crazy it was. People wow. flew in from the UK. People flew, flew in from outside Nigeria because MEST can go to all countries. So they like do Lagos, Accra, um, Kenya, and um, I think Cote d'Ivoire. So people in Francophone Africa come to Cote d'Ivoire. Yeah, do you get the idea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I really felt... I felt intimidated that day. I wouldn't lie. I felt, ah, I'm not going to make this. I don't think I can make this because a lot of people with so many experience came on board and they were speaking about what they've done. Of course, I had a track record as well. Um, I had by then moved from being just a facilitator to head of operations for the organization I worked with. So it was really competitive, but... Yeah, at the end of the day, in about 5,000 applications that year, I was among the 54 people chosen from across. So, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Mm -hmm. and, and that was a life-changing experience for me because moving into MES, staying with about 53 other people from 12 different African countries, really changed my mind and also helped me fine-tune what Africa Communicate is today. Amazing, amazing. So, I mean, that's like how you like got into like the innovation space, right? And um, interestingly, I think I've had like three, four people that have been on the podcast and they've actually been to MEST. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, I mean, it's when I'm having that conversation, I realize I kind of connect the dots. Like, ah, ah this guy, Shago, I think Shago has been to Mest and like two other people who've been on the podcast. So, I mean, interesting what, what Mest is doing in terms of breeding amazing, you know, talent across the continent. All right. So, Oscar, can you tell us about like the creator's economy in Africa, across the globe? I mean, can you just tell us about that space? Yeah, um, with pleasure. <laughs> so um, when you look at the creator economy in Africa, of course, it's exploding. Um, this new generation of youths, um, late millennials and especially Gen Z, are really, really looking at that space as a means for sustainability for themselves. And that's why it needs much more focus than is getting today. Of course, there's a boost in the idea of entrepreneurship where everybody wants to run their own business, where everybody wants to do their thing. And then that's where creativity plays in um, because if you have these creative skills, you can actually make a living for yourself. Um, however, when people speak of the creator economy, there is, a, there is a lot going on in that space. And most times people seem to just focus on one side of that. Um, there's content creation side, which is right now the biggest, be it whether they are making YouTube videos or TikTok videos, Instagram reels, stuff like that. That seems to be the biggest right now because this content streaming platform are really helping the youths. Um, I mean, imagine if there was no YouTube or TikTok, there is barely any, the, the amount of job opportunities out there yeah. In the world, not just in Africa, it's really small. <laughs> so, yeah. so the content side is really, really supporting a lot of youths, helping them earn a living. And, and that's where most people go to when they think of um, creator economy. But it's so much more than that. Um, aside just creating video content or audio or text content, um, there's so much more. Like the space I, I deal in, which is the also part of the creator economy, but has to do with um, creating digital products more. Let me put it that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that's the games industry, the animation industry, the comics industry, and now the XR industry. These are creators as well. But unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, unlike the other aspects of the creator economy, this space is not understood. This space receives little to no support. And this space actually has the capability of building an actual industry. Now, why I say this is um, not to say content creation can't, but this, for sustainability's sake, um, SMEs, small businesses are really going to help the socioeconomic development of, of, a, of a nation. And to have those SMEs properly functioning, there need to be some structures, some infrastructure in place. They need to be recognized as a business. And for most people in the content creation space, um, it's seen as something personal. How do I put it? Not mainly, for most people, it's not a business. It's not registered. Um, recruitment is not stable. They just get other creators to work with them. As opposed to if we build this side, 
of the industry, the games, the animation, the comics, they can actually provide platforms, structure, job opportunities to more people. Amazing. Th- thanks for sharing that. And I, I was reading briefly about like like the creator's economy and I was seeing stuff like there are people on Instagram that can make a post and they are earning six figures. I mean, there are YouTubers that that are any that have potential of earning over two hundred million dollars per annum. Uh, and yeah. even Substack, people that write, I mean, you can earn up to a million dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, per yeah. annum. <laughs> so I mean, it's crazy. The opportunity there, it's 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 massive. If you look at it across different sectors, and it's also mm-hmm. interesting that you, you you talked about like the comics, the game industry, all right, uh, yeah. and animation, and and if you look at a lot of kids growing up, you know, most of the contents they consume, uh, like Coco Melon, JoJo, <laughs> and all that. I mean, yeah. these are all like animation, right? But we yes. don't have we don't have a lot of African platform building, you know, content like that. Right? Yeah. So, what can you tell us about that state, uh, the current state of like animation, games creation mm-hmm. industry in Africa compared to the rest of the world? Yeah. Um, to start with, I won't entirely say it's a sorry state. <laughs> yeah, I'll say it's a, it's a developing industry. Um, because the truth is, there is a demand for African storytelling. Um, there's a huge demand for African content um, so that we can clearly and properly represent ourselves as African. However, unfortunately, who tells this story and how this story is told is the main differentiator. <laughs> now, what I mean by that is, as much as people would love to see African content and all, um, if you look through the, the different age groups we have currently living, say from Gen Z's, millennials to the likes, what appeals to these different people is, is really there's a segmentation. And let's take a look at the way Hollywood depicts Africa. So there's a way this story is told and there's a way Africans themselves perceive this brand. In some cases, in some cases, it's almost like we prefer things imported to us as opposed to homegrown stuff. (laughs) Yeah. for, for, for example, we have an, a studio right now in Nigeria that is really, really bullish on creating content for kids. That's in person of um, Omoberry. Yeah, that's Omoberry. So they're creating content just like Coco Melon and the likes, and they're really targeting African children. Okay. But if you have to look at demographics, if you have to look at their customer stats, a bulk of their audience that actually pay to keep them sustainable are diasporans. Mm. <laughs> and, that, and that's the big issue I would say we have in Africa. It's almost like when you want to build, even if you're building um, using African stories or so, if you want to make money, target diasporans. You, you can see that trend even in Iroko TV or the likes, even with Netflix. So Iroko TV, most of their money comes from the diasporans, not from the Africans here. Um, Netflix was a great idea because it was imported to us. And now we are seeking African stories through Netflix. Whereas there are lots of content streaming platforms homegrown in Africa 
that nobody really cares about because that branding of, oh, I'm using something global, I'm using something international is not fully there. So it's almost like we play catch up on this side. And from investing in the space to consuming the content, that seems to be the trend. African investors right now are not looking at that sector because they feel there's no money there. But if four or five animation studios should go to YC, boom, everybody can stay rest there. <laughs> everybody will kind of wake up that why is YC investing in this company? You know? and, I, and you start seeing Twitter spaces, oh, why are African animation studios going to YC for investment? Why don't they seek investment? You get it's, it's like we like playing catch up and that's a big problem. There's a huge opportunity, a huge market. Outside the continent, people want to feel connected to Africa. There are many more people that want to learn. They don't know and they feel this is their route. They don't know. And within the continent, there are also some people that want to be represented properly. I mean, if you look at the recent trend in Netflix animation, Disney animation, you see there's been a change in representation of how Africans look like from skin color of the animations to as minute details as they air. You start seeing them using more Afro air. And that did not just happen. That happened because a lot of people in the diaspora, a lot of voices out there, a lot of voices out there came up together to speak about representation that no, this is not how Africans look like. And all of a sudden you see that inclusion coming up. So there is that demand. Look at the story of the Daome warriors coming up in the warrior queen. That's an African story of the women in Benin Republic just beside us here. But if an African man should write that story because he doesn't have that funding, because it doesn't have that branding, it will affect how that story is, 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 is treated, how it's consumed. But because it's one of us, if I'm not wrong, that's telling that story, they have the funding, they have the branding, it's really international and exciting, then everybody wants to see that movie. Whereas the real origin of the story is just next door. And, and that's the issue I see in the industry, catch up, catch up and, and, and perception, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean that, that reminds me of like the, the Wakanda uh, movie, right? The same. You know, the Dora Malaje were actually characters created of the same Dahomey warriors. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> but but I mean, we that's like... our story. That's our story. People making billions of dollars, millions of dollars off it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's sad. It's very sad because um, we claim we are free of this um, old mentality of, um, of being to some extent maybe brainwashed or colonized, but deep down we still seem to want to play catch up. There are lots of amazing animation studios out there looking for funding, looking for partnership. But if you are not attached to a big brand, if you are not attached to, you get, Nobody seemed to want to take that effort to actually understand until the people that understand the industry come and start milking it. That's when people start paying attention yeah. to it. And it's already happening. It's already happening. Most of the animation studios in Nigeria right now are surviving based on foreign funding, not local funding. You go to a regular person and ask, of, oh, I want to do an animation. Nobody would fund you. 
the only people keeping some local stakeholders right now is in the areas of advertising. That's where you see animation really, really in the forefront in, in Nigeria. But there's so much more that can be done. There's so much more and stakeholders need to wake up. Hmm, interesting. So tell us about African Communicate Business Model. Tell us about what you're doing, trying to like, I know it's a platform, all right, for African digital creatives, uh, connecting them to opportunities, learning, collaboration, and funding. So tell us about, uh, I mean, your work at um, Africa Communicate and maybe your business model as well. How do you try to, you know, you make the, the platform sustainable? Yeah. Um, so as of now, um, Africa Communicate is about, it's been an idea running for since 2020. And we've been refining our methodology and approach to the industry. Um, because what we do really is when I, after like seven years in the creative industry, I've seen lots of game developers switch from game development to building websites and apps because that's where the money is right now. That's where the job opportunities are also. Um, whereas in the game space, most studios just employ people on contract basis. Hey, I want to build a game. Then once you're done building a game, they lay you off, then only call you for update or fixing bugs. That's not sustainable. So after seeing lots of people live, I, I came to realize that the business sustainability, the business aspect of this industry is what is really missing. And where some people have figured it out, um, say one, two, three studios across Africa have figured it out, that information is not shared amongst other stakeholders. I mean, in fact, there's also little to no information about the games industry or animation industry, for example. Um, if you, unlike in the normal startup space where you want to find out what studio has raised money, what year did they start, what's their numbers, you know, there are platforms you can go to. There are lots of reports out there for that. For that. In the creative industry in Africa, this is something that is just coming up. So after going to MEST, um, working for more than a year, doing my research, working with people from all across, the idea of Africa Communicate came up, which is to, which is to really connect stakeholders across Africa together so that we can have a unique front. We can have one unique front because though we have, um, we have minute differences in our problems, our problems are majorly similar, like they're mainly similar. A lot of the problems we face are similar. So the idea of Africa Communicate is to create a community, a Pan-African community across the continent where we can showcase the works of the creators and then connect them to opportunities. Um, we've worked with organizations like IGDA Foundation, that's International Game Developer Association Foundation, to organize um, to, to get African creative to partake in their exchange programs. And that has been really helpful. That has been amazing because through those programs, these creatives get access to mentors, industry stakeholders that are traditionally not from Africa and understand the industry. They've been in the industry for a minimum of 10 years. Moving on. Um, we also try to do matchmaking with publishers. Um, that's another thing. So in the creative space, 
our investors, our VC firms are regarded as publishers. <laughs> reason okay. being, yeah, reason being um, in the creative space, the biggest issue, it's not just the money. The biggest issue is not just the development. It's the monetization. <laughs> yeah. Um, unlike the normal traditional startup space, I like calling it traditional startup space, don't mind me. But like the startup space where you build an app, you build a product, it's very transactional. Say, for example, in fintech, your business model is clear. Oh, you want to allow people to facilitate payments, whether outside the country or within the country or USSD, it's clear. And people are expected to, without any motivation, use your app daily for their daily business. You get the idea. They don't need any yeah. motivation. They need your product to solve their daily problem. And all you now need to do is find out how to charge them for using that product daily. Very simple. Now, look at the games industry. You are, in most cases, in most cases, especially if you are focused on entertainment, because game is more than that. It can be used for education and so much more. But if you're focused on entertainment, which is what the majority of the stakeholders are focused on, you are not necessarily solving a problem. <laughs> you get, you yeah. are trying to, you're trying to, how do I put it? Yeah, you're not necessarily solving a problem. And then you need some form of motivation to get people to keep on using your product. And that is why in Africa, for example, premium apps don't work. Outside Africa, you can put a price to a game and people would buy it, $9, $10, people would rush it. In Africa, you put a price to an app, they are looking for the crack online <laughs> or the free alternative. You get And yeah. making money from ads is not sustainable because if you're in the US, if someone watches an ad on your platform, you make up to, up to almost a dollar. But if someone in Africa watches the same ad, you make like 0.01. You're seeing the issue. Is that issue. like on YouTube? Is that like YouTube ad? It's actually general. YouTube ad, Google ads, um, the cost per ad that is watched is really low when the audience is in Africa as opposed to outside Africa. So I can be creating yeah. content, for example, now on YouTube and I have like diaspora audience then I'll yeah, make you more make money more. than if I have like Nigerian audience watching my YouTube. Definitely. Yes, you'll make more. You'll make so much more. Yeah. <laughs> so so right. these, are, these are the little technicalities that all these creatives are facing. And when you sum it up, how many people on a regular basis go online to look for a particular game? Mm. Like, it's always, it's either the game is trendy or somebody introduced them to it or they read about it somewhere. And when your app or phone now becomes really full, the first thing that gets kicked off, it's not your banking app. It's not your agri investment app. It's that game that you feel is taking so much space. Mm. You get, look, look at Netflix today, for example. A lot of people, they're losing subscribers. Uh, aside the issue with content and all, because if you look deep, the organization has put so much in understanding human behavior to keep them watching, to get them interested, to engage them, motivate them. But with economic um, 
meltdown currently happening as well. More and more people are not just leaving because Netflix doesn't have content, but because it's not a priority for them. There are even lots of channels saying that time you spend on Netflix, use it to, to learn a new skill or something. Yeah. And these, these economic factors are what affect the creative industry and make it not sexy for most people. <laughs> you get. And this is where the publishers come in. So the publishers in the creative industry, in games industry, for example, they don't just give that platform. They also build community of players. They build community where once you give them your game, they just push it to like the audience. They have a ready-made audience they manage that can give you those installs that can boost your chances of success. And luckily for us in Africa, we have a publisher right now. I'm one of the most stable publishers. And that's in person of Carry First. And um, outside Africa, there are a whole lot. And for Africa Communicate, we're trying to connect them with these people. So that's, so that's basically what we do. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. So now let's talk about funding, right? I mean, mm-hmm. on, on CB Insight, I saw a data that globally, like creator economy has seen a record of, I think, 1.3 billion US dollars in funding in 2021 yeah. alone. And, yeah. and if you look at African tech ecosystem generally, there's been significant growth in funding, you know, yeah. across. I think maybe like $4 billion, close to $5 billion was raised by startup in 2021 as well. And, uh, but, and, of course, most of this funding in Africa is going to fintech. Then maybe you have uh, <laughs> logistics and um, and uh, energy, you know. Mm-hmm. So why do you think, like, the gaming sector is all, like, attracting funds? I mean, do, are there complaints in gaming that you think or that you know that are raising funds? And how do you think the industry can be better positioned to, you know, to attract funds, maybe like other sectors? Yes, yes. Um, that's that's really, really. Um, that's really, really our main intention. <laughs> that's really, okay. really what we are trying to tackle. So, um, to start with the first question, um, yes, just as you said, the majority of that funding doesn't go to the games industry, and I would contribute. I, I would attribute the first reason being to the fact that um, there is no product. And when you look at VCs, especially in Africa or even globally, they want to see a product. They want to see a clear business model. They want to see projections. And these things, except to the very trained eye, these things are very difficult for you to to depict in the games industry. Um, What that means is um, to start with, if you are investing in a game studio, as opposed to a fintech, startup or so in a fintech startup you are investing in one product you know the product you see the product pipeline right but in the games industry if you're investing in a game studio you'd see a game but then the idea is because no one can the, the risks attached to the success of that game is almost 100 percent there's the idea of that studio is also expected to create more games if it's to be sustainable so that through trial and error, you can find that its game and start milking that product. You take a look at EA, for example. Take a look at um, Ubisoft. These are big studios with billions of dollars. 
But if you look, they have main titles. That doesn't mean they don't have lots of other games. <laughs> but the way the internet <laughs> is structured is you can build 500 games and it's just one that is a hit. And mm. that's why you see they keep on milking that hit over and over and over again. Um, EA has been creating the sports um, game for how many years right now? Just improved. Look at EA. They have lots of titles lots of studios who have different game titles to their name but is there anyone as successful as the fifa game they have no and for milking is we've been playing fifa for how many years right now same with god of war same with gta same with angry birds um in the first year of the game at on peter vesterbacher the founder of angry birds joined us and he shared his story he said Angry Birds was a game built during a jam, like a hackathon. They built 50 games after that, and none were successful. <laughs> and then someone in the office just went back to check their old project and saw Angry Birds and refined it. And that was the most successful. After 50 game titles, it was even one of their old projects that became successful. And what do you see them do today? They've milked it. They've built a brand around it. And that's how the games industry is. You have the Angry Bird animation right now. You have the Angry Bird games for various seasons with various skins and designs. They have the match. You get, <laughs> and it's not like that's the only game Rovio Studios is building today, but that's still the most profitable. And that's the thing most stakeholders in the industry don't understand. Because unlike a fintech startup, once you build a, an app, the highest you're doing is pivoting in the idea you get. <laughs> it's yeah, pivoting. Yeah. But yeah, it's more experimentation until you get that one hit. Which means if a game, um, a studio owner is coming to meet you, it might not be that game it brings to you that would be successful. I need to do three or four. 100 more games to be successful. And that's a risk most investors don't understand and are not willing to, to take. Hmm. I've spoken with within Africa. The next thing is you hear people say, oh, you want me to invest in a game studio. Which game studio do you know is <laughs> a unicorn in Africa or is making money? <laughs> you get the idea. Because normally, um, you know, VCs too, sometimes they are... Um, how do I put it? They're industry agnostic sometimes, and they mostly base their, their decisions on data. That's why fintech is a big trend, because they, they you say there's this startup, there's that startup, and people be like, oh, yeah, then we can see how we can push you to become one of those. So there are in a lot of truths that have really made it financially and have become financially successful. But then there are startups doing it. We have Letty at in, in Ghana. We have Malio Games in Nigeria, who is pushing a lot of amazing stuff. We have um, Kiro in Cameroon. Um, when it comes to financial success, I think Kiro Games is one we can take as a sample. And they are backed. Though their approach to funding was true crowdfunding. Said, as Africa Communicate, we are trying to be that bridge, trying to connect and educate stakeholders and the general public, as well as educate the creatives themselves to become much more entrepreneurial.
Kira Games used crowdfunding to raise one million dollars just this year for their Amazing. game. Yeah, and was, they've was that also in, in Nigeria. I mean, sorry, in, in the diaspora, in a... which platform was used to raise that? that, that across, across the. So which platform um, based... was used to raise to do the crowdfunding? Oh, I think they have their in-house platform, um, okay, which okay. they built themselves. So they started out. I think um, they initially raised about two hundred dollars through crowdfunding to build their first game and the game became successful that's the orion game and so with that they've moved on to build um to raise more funds and they also build a franchise as well which is that business side that is lacking amongst many creatives when they want to start a, a creative startup so you have the kiro chops um which is like a fast food owned by Kiro Games. <laughs> and then you see they put their product placements, the characters from the games and all. You can find it everywhere in that place. And it builds this brand connection. You get the idea. So Yeah, yeah. So the- that's, that's very cool. That's being creative, right? Creative. Yeah. yeah. It's to monetize the product. Because I also remember you mentioned monetization is a big problem. Yes. But, I mean, yeah, just is. branching out of the regular way of doing it. Yeah. And in fact, I think the truth is that is even the actual regular way of doing it because you can't keep on motivating people just digitally. Um, you need to create that brand connection. If you look at Disney, they are doing it. It's the same thing. You have Disney World, you have Disney bags, you have merch, so that everywhere you go, you are reminded about the characters you like. They are trying to build that brand. Same with Marvel. You have the toys, you have all those stuff. Because in this industry, exactly, (laughs) in this industry, it's all about appealing to the emotion of your audience and seeing how you can engage them. Yeah. (laughs) And that's where where gaming now comes in. Look at games, animation, comics, XR. The comics industry has relied mainly on crowdfunding as a means of getting... The animation industry is getting support from organizations as well as private funding. Um, you have organizations like the British Council, Alliance Francais, all across Africa doing a lot to support people, take them for festivals, to connect them with distributors. And that's super. And yeah, that, that's really, really super. But then when you look at games, that's, that's where there's a bit of an issue. Time, we do believe we can connect these people with the right stakeholders and also empower the creators within to approach creativity with a business mind. All right. Yeah, so tell us about I mean this awesome event you're planning uh, via Africa Comic Code. Can you tell us about this, what you're trying to achieve? And uh, yeah, yeah it would be, be great <clears throat> to, to hear from you on that. Yeah, so we we and um, it starts with the gamerton because um, we are looking at the creative industry from the perspective industry. Um, this is the least industry that is understood in the creative space, and then it's also that's one that brings together all the other industries. And when you look at the games industry, you're going to employ 3D artists or stakeholders from the animation industry. You can convert the comics into games. You get, 
and even the platform used for game development is what is used for XR development as well. When you talk of metaverse, it's the same platform for game development that is used to build the metaverse that is a wave on. So we are approaching a game development perspective. And so we called it the Gamerton. And what it, it's, a, it's a convention that brings together all these stakeholders so that they can learn from one another learn from stakeholders within and outside Africa so that they can connect to hopefully kickstart partnerships and collaborate on projects. They also get to showcase their works. There's going to be a pitch competition where people showcase what they are building and get industry feedback. There will be workshops, panel sessions, and so much more. The idea is to create a connected ecosystem, a connected industry where people get access to those opportunities. And there are various ways these opportunities are being played out, but the Gamerton is that one annual event that brings everybody from all across, whether it's Francophone, Lusophone, or Anglophone Africa, bring them together to showcase what they are doing and connected to this opportunity. It would be running um, in the month of September. For industry stakeholders, it starts on the 19th to 24th. But for enthusiasts who want to get into the industry, who want to learn more, who want to partake and start building a career, it starts on the 5th of September, where we'll be holding trainings on how to build games. Um, and then there's going to be a, a game jam is more like a hackathon for game developers. And in that game jam, people will be able to connect together in building a game game. Yeah, I, I need to also stress that it happens mostly virtually so that everybody, anybody, anywhere can join. And it's going to round up with a fiscal event in Lagos, Nigeria. So we're looking at to get, but we're looking at to educate stakeholders about the industry. If you're a VC, this is the event for you. If you want to know what is happening in this space, we'll be giving industry um, data in the form of a report, as well as through the discussions, you get to connect with the creators themselves, see what they are building. If you're a student from universities, we're trying to onboard you so that they can start space training for them. They're going to build something at the end of the day. There are certificates that will be given out for performances and so much more. And yeah, <laughs> so basically more like the entire month of, almost the entire month of September. I mean, this is this is really beautiful, and, and I'm looking forward to, to the event. I mean, it, it's it, it it sounds packed, like fully packed. Yeah. <laughs> I like the idea of the report. I mean, to educate yeah. like the industry, the VCs to understand, you know, the opportunities in the space. Uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to um to the Gamerton event, uh, Oscar. So, yeah. as we round up, is there any other thing you you like to share with us? Uh, yeah, I, I think, let me see, maybe I have some nuggets or wise words <laughs> to share. Cool, <laughs> but yeah, cool, I like that. <laughs> yeah. I think what is very important to, to really put out there is um, Africa has a lot of talent. And I'll, I'll with anyone out there, I think there is there's an immense amount of talent, uh, whether it be it's in the creative industry or anywhere residing in Africa. But what we lack as African is that opportunity to strive, to, to thrive, 
to grow, to unleash those, those, those skills. And that is why, for example, if you school in Nigeria, you might be the last in the class, but once you the continent, you are taken first. <laughs> that is why you see a lot of Africans in the diaspora doing a lot of amazing stuff. It's because the environment within the continent, it's not very conducive for growth. What is very key to take away from the development of this space does not lie in the hands of the government. Um, that's going to be some, um, that's a big misconception. As an investor, as a regulator, you have a role to play in making this economy of ours um, sustainable, in making it fertile for startups to grow. And you also have the responsibility to do the research. You just don't need people chasing you or bringing things to you. If we don't do that, um, we are building up ourselves for huge catastrophe. <laughs> yes, if we don't do that, we're building ourselves up because our population is growing daily. Um, know that about 90% of startups die in 10 years of being created. So it doesn't, we don't have enough startups yet. We don't have enough startups. Once we are, we are also struggling. And if we, we need to see how we can come together to understand our space and invest in it for a sustainable future. Because without that, there will be issues internally, I unemployment, security, and more. And also, our resources will continue to be exported more African youth will leave the continent. There will be more brain drain. There will be more, <laughs> how do I put it? Yeah, you get the idea. So it's our collective responsibility yeah, to yeah. and build a space for one another. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you, Oscar. I mean, that's really amazing. And it's been great having you on the show. Thank you for your time. We've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you very much for being on Curious K Podcast. Thank you so much. All right. Yeah. So, everyone, thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it like I did. And let's catch up again next time. I mean, and we'll have a good time. See you guys. And bye bye.